You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 48. Welcome to the show. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. While I've always maintained that I started this show as an opportunity to bring value to our community, one of the original underlying principles I used to guide the content of this show was that I it was what I was learning, what I was putting into action in my life, the feedback that I was getting, and then reviewing it and then trying something new, right? I've got something up on my wall that says strategize, prioritize, execute, review, and repeat. And I do believe based off the feedback that I've gotten that I have brought value to the community. Um, Most of the time I don't necessarily use this as my audio diary, which was one of the original intentions for it to discuss things that I was having problems with and things that I don't necessarily understand and can't quite put my finger on. And I'm definitely having one of those weeks where I feel like this would be a very good opportunity to open up some vulnerability windows in my life and release some of this information out there to y'all to see Um, if it resonates and I have a feeling it will, you know, I've in in my show notes, I've titled this Q and a addiction, cross addiction, feelings and emotions. And there's a lot of uh, feelings and emotions that I'm dealing with this week that I'm not necessarily equipped to deal with. Um, I had to say um, goodbye to a very valued friendship over the last week. And something that while at times there was writing on the wall that um, this relationship might have to take a back seat, go away um, completely. It wasn't ever something that I really had thought about the repercussions about. And anytime we walk away from a relationship with someone who has meant a great deal to us for a long, long time, Um, there's going to be a sense of loss and there's going to be a, I don't know if you guys could hear that, but a a fire truck just drove by my house. (laughs) That was loud. Um, There's going to be a sense of loss and there's going to be a sense of anguish. And I think for all of us, when we originally got into sobriety and then found out there was a difference between sobriety and, and, and recovery, right? And it's, it's the foundation of this show that in order to step into addiction recovery, we have to start to unravel the the mangled mess of wiring inside of our heads that got us into this position and that we have to ask ourselves, where was the suffering and why... It, did I allow the suffering to take uh, such a strong hold over me that I started making decisions that I knew weren't in my best interest, that I knew were harming me, 
but I did nothing about it. I would, I would, I would drink so much. I would joke with my friends. I drank so much last night that I changed my DNA. Right? I would, I would do so much drugs that even I didn't think that I was going to wake up the next day normal. And when I look back at what addiction has taken from me, um, and what you know, what honestly, what I willingly gave to it um, was my time and was my rationality and was my ability to make to make decisions that I would ultimately look back on and say were wise right like I, I made pretty decent good sometimes great decisions during my addiction um, I still managed to graduate college I still managed to, to, to travel and see other places around the world I managed to cultivate really great friendships but at the same time there they never really reached their full potential because my first love was intoxication. And down in my show notes, I have, how do you know if you're addicted? And it's uh, two of the things. And again, you know, I tried to read some websites and get some science behind this. These, this stuff is gets just, I don't know if you guys have ever tried to Google what is cross addiction. American Addiction Centers has got a bunch of stuff that is just, way above my, my pay grade. Um, psychiatry.org on what is addiction, a little bit more manageable to, to read. Um, but still, man, you can just get lost in the web that is that information. So after reading it all, I, I just went with, with my gut and I put down, how do you know if you're addicted? These aren't the only ways, and there's only two that I could even come up with because I've been just chomping at the bit to get on the microphone because um, I really just I, I need this this opportunity to get this stuff out of my head. You know, I've, I've, I went and visited my therapist last night. I've got some meetings lined up. I'm going to start becoming very much more active in the community. Um, I don't feel like using it, going out and getting drunk or or getting high. Isn't what I'm feeling right now, but I definitely would, you know, I've found myself watching a little bit more Netflix than usual. Uh, I've found myself listening to some, a lot of music that, that evokes, um, negative, like sad emotions, because uh, I'm definitely in that space right now. And, um, you know, I'm starting to see where my addictive personality, my di- addictive behaviors are, uh, have been creeping up on me and where they're showing themselves a lot right now. And so um, how do you know if you're addicted? I put down, do you continue an activity even though it causes negative consequences in your life? Um, has a behavior become uncontrollable? So even when you know what you are about to do will probably not end up well, you continue anyways. And I don't know what other ones you know you might have, and, and I'm going to post something about this on Instagram, and I'd love for you to chime in, um, preferably in public. But again, I, I've been noticing a lot of people want to keep it you know, on, on, in the DMs, which is just fine. Uh, however you would like to share it, you know, by all means, share however you feel comfortable with sharing. Um, no one is here to tell you otherwise. When I continue an activity that I know is going to cause negative consequences, you know, one of the things I've noticed in my relationships, um, not just this one specifically that ended um, this week, but in general is that there is a, there are boundaries that I place up in order to protect myself, um, in order to make sure that I'm maintaining what I think I need to be doing for my addiction recovery. 
and that's not always going to jive with everyone, right? It's, you know, something I was thinking about the other day that, I'll, I'll just spit it out, that you don't owe anyone anything. You owe yourself everything. If you took money from your parents' wallets and purses, if you sold a television, if you left somebody somewhere where you were supposed to meet them and you didn't show up, if you, you know, I'm talking about things that you did while you were an addict, you know, if you stole from people, if you lied, if you didn't show up where you said you were going to be, right? Like these are, these are negative things that you did towards other people. And by all means, you know, whether you're in the step program or, or a different kind of program, you make amends to those people, but you don't allow them to tell you what they, what they think you need to do to make it up. Oh, hey, you know, I, I feel like you wronged me when you were an addict, so now I need you to babysit my kid from 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock every single day for the next year. That's not, that doesn't work for you, right? You've got things that you need to be doing, ways that you need to be uplifting your own life. And you have to be very mindful of other people telling you what you need to be doing to make amends towards them or what you need to be doing so that for your recovery. Only you know what you need to do for your recovery. You know, uh, one of the questions I answered in last week's Q&A was from uh, somebody on Instagram when they said, "When, when should you start dating? Should you really wait a year? And I told her then, and I'll I'll repeat it now, that you should wait as long as you think you need to wait in order to make sure that you can show up as the best version of yourself and that you, you know how to set healthy boundaries and that you also have space available for that person if you decide to get into a long lasting relationship. You know, I don't open a lot of space for many for most i if maybe not at all honestly that everybody everybody belongs in their own little box and in in whenever i want to reach out whenever i want to send somebody a message you know when i want to call someone that's the space that i've allotted for them and a lot of the times I, I really don't want to, to increase my friendship circle because the last thing I want is for people to randomly call me up in the middle of the day with a problem they're having and them to either think that I should jump to helping them or that I, or for me to make myself feel obligated to help them. One of the things that was asked, um, I don't know if this is the right time to bring up mood swings, but it's that Somebody somebody asked in the, the Instagram post about questions a couple posts back. Uh, how do you control your mood swings? The number one thing you realize that your your mood is coming right from something that occurs. Something happens, right? We'll talk. We'll call it a circumstance. We'll call it an event. It, it could be somebody is cutting you off. It doesn't have to be like an event, like a concert. Just something as simple as somebody cutting you off on it, it while you're driving. That event causes you to have a thought which which sparks a feeling. So if you feel disrespected, right? If you think, "Oh, that person was disrespecting me," and that causes you anger because you don't like being disrespected, next thing you know, you're chasing them down the road, flashing your lights, flipping them off and honking your horn. Whereas that same person could have cut you off and you could have a thought, 
that says, wow, I really hope that whatever is going on in that person's life is okay because they are clearly driving dangerously. And I don't think that they normally would have behaved that way if something bad wasn't happening, which gives you a feeling of um, empathy, right? You choose the emotion, the mood that you're going to be in based off of whatever event happens, right? On the way to the gym today, crazy homeless people are running out in front of my car. Uh, two different cars cut me off. A, a dump truck slams on its brakes. Another dump truck behind me almost rear-ends me because I have to slow down to turn right into the parking garage because somebody else is walking too slowly while they stare at their phone. And then they, they, they look at me and like wave, sort of like, uh, yeah, I'm here. And I'm like, I'm simultaneously hoping that this, this dump truck behind me doesn't rear-end my car while I'm watching out after you. And also trying to be aware of all the other people on scooters flying around on the sidewalk who could possibly hit my car or I could hit them. Driving home was no better. Multiple times people were cutting me off, running yellow lights. And right, and I just, I, I could have the thought that this Hollywood is just too much. It's too chaotic. And, and I often do. And now I'm working on changing that to being like, you know, I, this is what I, this is what it is. I live in the city. There's going to be a lot going on. Just drive slower, be more calm and be okay with the fact that it's going to take 17 minutes to drive to a pizza restaurant. Uh, whereas if I lived, you know, out in the suburbs, maybe it would take five. It's like, it's, it's 15 minutes. It's more time to listen to good songs. It's more time to think about topics for the podcast. The point I'm making here is that if you're finding yourself having wild mood swings, you need to ask yourself, what was the thought that triggered that mood swing? And then what was the event that occurred that triggered that thought? Right, All thoughts cause feelings, good and bad, ugly, happy, sad, whatever it is. A thought causes a feeling. So go back to what event. Somebody cut you off. Somebody showed up late. Uh, the DVR didn't record your favorite show. Your phone crashed. What was that event that caused a thought that triggered that emotion? I, I, I work very diligently at making sure that my emotional swings aren't too much because I, I have this. And I almost got it to the point now where imagine like baseline's 50, really happy is 100, really sad's zero, where it's like I'm always just in 60-40 land. And that's, that's not okay for me. I, I want to be able to feel the depths of sadness because that's how you know whenever you've reached the heights of happiness. And likewise, if you're if you're always striving to be happy, then when something bad happens, your dog gets sick, or your dog gets sick, a relative gets sick, something really tragic happens. If your number one goal every single day is to be happy, that's 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 unrealistic because you're not going to always be happy. My number one goal every day is to just feel all the emotions that flow through me and allow them to be felt and then to flow right back out to understand what thoughts are causing those feelings and then be able to, to figure out what event caused the thought which triggered the feeling. I cannot stress that enough that seeking only happiness isn't a healthy way to go about life because things are going to happen. You know, you're going to get stuck at a yellow light and, and then into a red light when you're in a rush. Like You don't have to necessarily be happy about that, but you don't have to be ferociously angry about it either. And when this gets tied back to the emotions and the feelings that, uh, that I'm having right now is that normally I would 
I would completely just cruise control right over all of these sad emotions that I'm feeling right now. And I would just dive headfirst into work. Um, and I would not even come up for air, but that's across addiction, which is something else in my notes. My therapist last night said, you should talk about feelings and cross addiction. And when I Googled cross addiction, all the best I could come up with is that when the addict turns the addictive behavior towards something besides the preferred vice. And, you know, my addictive behavior is always just to put my head down and just power through any kind of emotions. That's why I was a drunk and a, and a druggie for so long. You know, that's why I can I can literally just start watching videos or reading books and I can just ignore the emotions. And once in a while, my mind will trail off and try to go into daydream land and I'll just yank it back and say no. And I'm here today to say that it's okay to feel those negative emotions. It's okay to be sad. It's not okay to dive so deep into those negative emotions that we allow them to become a key part of um, the characteristics of our personality, where we start to identify as someone who's depressed just because when we feel depressed, other people shower us with attention, we can feel sorry for ourselves, we can walk around like Eeyore thinking that the whole world is against us, and we do that for so long that it just becomes an identifier to ourselves about who we are. I'm not saying that depression isn't a real thing, but I'm also saying that there are ways to pull yourself out of it. Now, I get that some people are going to argue, well, that you know, depression can be really bad and people commit suicide. I mean, you, you know, look at somebody like Robin Williams. The guy was struggling with depression for years. Um, there are ways to work through it. Yes, I understand that some people get it so bad that they have to turn to medication. And then that's, that, that's the first step. But then you start to look at longer strategic plans and think, okay, how can I get out of this in a way that's, that's, that, that's beneficial to me and everyone around me? right? Because you, you ultimately, we are humans. Being of service to other people is written in our DNA. It's why we got into tribes. You go hunt, I'll pick some berries, we'll come back later, we'll all eat. While you're getting firewood, I'll get water, right? Being of service to our community is written in our freaking DNA. One of my life coaches once said during a workshop that the best way to get out of depression is to go be of service towards someone else. Get out of your head where you're allowing these thoughts and these feelings to go into this negative feedback loop. You've just got this huge loop going on in your head where as long as you're thinking negative thoughts, you're feeling depressed, then here comes the negative feelings, which create actions, uh, which will drive actions that create results that will feed back into the fact that you're depressed. Uh, you know, some you'll get cut off on the road and your depression will kick in and you'll be like, well, I'm a loser. No one cares about me. Your feelings will become of sadness. Your actions will be that you're staring at the ground. You're not saying hi to people. You're not making eye contact, right? The results are that people seem to just ignore you as you walk around and that goes back up. Now the next event would be like, well, I leave my house and no one ever says hi to me. No one ever smiles at me, 
right? And now the thought is, is I'm, you know, I'm a loser. I'm a sad person. I'm depressed, whatever it might be. Now your feelings are of deeper depression. Your actions are you continue to look at the ground. You don't say hi to anyone yourself. You don't try to connect with anyone. And the result, results are that you feel disconnected from everyone around you. Whereas if you just lifted up your head and started saying hi, not everyone would say hi back, but you would get responses. And the more you did it, the more positive feedback you'd get. And so when I go into these sad modes, I don't do it so that I can stay here forever, but I definitely do it so that I can feel things now. You know, I don't know what my relationships will look like in the future. I've only had two of them in sobriety. The first one was not good uh, for me, for my sobriety, for my long-term mental health. And the second one had tremendous amounts of positives. I just couldn't clear my brain enough to see what was actually going on around me. Right, I got myself into this feedback loop, right? What I said earlier about addiction is that when you continue an activity, even though you know it's going to cause negative consequences, when you're in a friendship or you're in a relationship with somebody and, you know, depending on where they're at in their personal growth, self-transformation journey, you, they're going to be bringing their their baggage, their life into yours. And if you're not willing to um, defend your sobriety and your recovery and to make sure that you know where your healthy boundaries are and understand the difference between a boundary and being selfish and being selfless. Right. And I don't, I don't know those. So I, I I know of them. Like I understand boundaries, selfishness and selflessness. I, I get that. And there's a mindset that I'm working through where I start to really ask myself, you know, what is a good boundary for me to set? When do I need to be selfish with my self-care so that I can recharge my internal batteries so that I can then turn around and be selfless towards others, particularly the people who love and care about me the most, right? If you're constantly giving, 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 almost to the point where it feels like an obligation, where, where you don't feel like you have any freedom of movement, where there's, there's an expectation that's being put upon you that you either don't want to meet, don't know how to meet, don't know why you should be meeting it, don't know what meeting it looks like. Uh, what if you, you meet it and now the bar gets raised? What if you meet it and you don't get the reaction that you want? Right? Like when you do things for other people, you cannot control the response you get back from them. I could decide to give somebody flowers and, 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 and I want to elicit the feeling of love, but if they have negative um, history with flowers because somebody once gave them flowers after they you know, uh, wrecked their car, now flowers to them means, well, somebody must have done something bad or they wouldn't be giving me flowers, right? So the, 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 the response I wanted to elicit was of love, and instead the response that you that I, you, I could elicit would be that of something negative just happened that this person now is just waiting for that shoe to drop. I mean, follow me on, on this, that you do an act, you do something to elicit a response, but you cannot control whether you actually get that response. And 
going back to the question about how long should you wait to date, uh, there's a part of me that's starting to question whether nine months was enough. I was very cocky in my early sobriety. I had not yet embraced integrity, humility, and gratitude. I have certainly embraced those way more now than I ever have before. And more importantly, what I'm starting to, to realize is that I definitely, definitely am nowhere even close to having all the answers. I have certainly had moments in this sobriety recovery um, journey, this three years, where I've been like, okay, okay, I, I definitely got the hang of this, right? It's, I imagine it'd be like a race car driver on one of those tracks where it doesn't just go in an oval, but instead it's like really windy. And then, you know, 15th, 30th lap, they're like, okay, okay, I got this. And all of a sudden some oil shows up from another car and on the turn where there used to not be oil and they, you know, I'm cruise control and I, oh, I've got this. I know every turn, no big deal, no big deal. All of a sudden, boom, there's the oil. See, the thing about our sobriety and recovery mission journey is that everybody that we ever come in contact with, with is also on it. So they can accidentally spill some oil in front of us, not meaning to, Right? I, I honestly believe that no one has a malicious intent. Every action someone does comes from a place of, of a positive intention. Even if, it's the, even if the positive intention is just for them. You have a banana, you leave it in the refrigerator at work, somebody comes and takes your banana. Yes, that seems like a malicious act because they took your banana. But to them... It was, it had a positive meaning because they were hungry and they wanted a banana and they saw a banana and they took it. Everybody's actions has, it is, it comes from a place of, of positivity, even if it's only for them. I, I know that's tough because you think about some of the horatious, horatious things that other humans have done. Right, but to them, there's a po- they're they're searching for a positive outcome. It may not be positive for the people. I just got done reading this really really sad article about Syria and the Rolling Stone. Right, what the Turkish forces are doing in Syria when the United States pulled out that that is not seen as positive by many people, other than Turkey, Iran, and Russia. But for them, there's a positive outcome that they're looking to get. Now I know I'm going really really dark on that one, but I need you to understand that you can use this with anything, no matter how dark. There's a positive intention. There's a positive outcome, even if it's only for them. Now, that doesn't make that, that, doesn't make that behavior any less malicious towards you, towards you, towards the people that it's happening to, towards the Syrians. It doesn't make it less malicious. But to understand that there is there is a positive outcome that the other person is looking for. And that what, what we want to search for as humans is for a way for their positive outcome to also become a positive outcome for us. We want positive outcomes for all. All right, this sounds like some sort of political rant or some, you know, some, uh, you know, it sounds like, you know, we're, it's, it's equality for all. But right, I mean, that's, you know, somebody wants some land. Some other people want the same land. Where's the positive outcome for all? Instead of whoever can, you know, can get a stranglehold on that land, that's who wins. Well, now these other people are stuck with no land. And that's not a good, that's not a good place to be living. 
That's not, that's not a good energy to put out into our world. So when, let's bring it back in, okay? Because that, 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 that analogy got a little out there, but I'm hoping that you, you see where there's some connectivity into what I'm getting ready to say. Let's, let's bring it back in. When someone does something toward, to you, towards you, around you, they're wanting a positive outcome, even if it's just for themselves. Understand that people as a whole aren't looking to do something malicious towards you to take advantage, right? They, they, they want a positive outcome for themselves. And if it, if you're the, um, the casualty, what, there's a better word for it. Um, if, if your feelings become the casualty, what you want becomes the casualty and all of that. I don't honestly think that most people are doing that within a malicious intent. They just know what they want and they're hoping that you're being willing to meet the needs. And that's how we're bringing this back into the relationship aspect. You know, if somebody wants your time, if somebody wants your attention, if somebody wants something from you, right, you have to figure out, can you do that and still be concrete in your sobriety and recovery is what they're asking for starting to cause negative consequences right for me i was allowing myself to feel like i was failing this other person that that i wasn't meeting their expectations right and we and expectations are literally like the root of disappointment all right, people, it's like, it comes, it goes like frustrate. You get, there's an expectation. It's not met. So you get frustrated, but it leads to disappointment. And when, and when I, when I know what somebody wants from me, but I don't have the resources to give it, uh, that I'm too in my own space, that I want to be taking care of my work, that I want to be taking care of my body, that I want to be taking care of my feelings, that, you know, I will take care of me for me, and uh, I will take care of me for you, you will take care of you for me. It doesn't mean that you're not there to to offer assistance and, 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 and be of service to another person, especially with one you're in a relationship with, but you also have to understand that you making sure that you are taking care of you is the essence of breaking away from that codependency, that enabling behavior that so many of us got stuck into for years and years and maybe even decades and decades. For over two decades, I lived in this this enabling codependency kind of world where I needed everyone around me to to be just as codependent on me as I was on them so that I didn't ever think I was taking advantage of them. And I needed them to have a certain amount of patience with my, with my addiction is so that they would, they would enable it. Even if not, I, I didn't need their money, but I definitely wanted their patience. If I went out and got blacked out drunk and disappeared for two or three days, I wanted to know that they were enabling me enough to, to, to maybe, you know, bat me on the hand and say bad Jesse, but not turn their back on me. And so as you're moving through your sobriety and into your addiction recovery and you're thinking about your feelings and your emotions and how those are going to work within a relationship, it's very important that you start to notice that if your addictive behavior starts to get put onto something else, and, and for me, what I was noticing it was, was there, there was like this, this gigantic ebb and flow where it was super happy and then something would go down and it's like the whole thing would just start to get mangled and I didn't have the resources to stop and say, okay, why is this, why is this 
getting mangled. Let's calmly figure it out. Right? I just would jump right into freak out, burn it all down mode. Right? I, I don't yet quite have the resources to, to understand where my emotions fit within myself. Right? Everyone is allowed to feel whatever they want to feel, but it's important for you to realize that you're making yourself feel that way. And everyone's feelings are valid because that's what you feel, but you're also choosing to feel that way. I hope that this has helped some of you when it, when it comes to the idea of emotions and feelings and addiction and cross-addiction. Because it's so easy for us to take that addictive behavior. And as soon as we stop using alcohol or drugs, to think, okay, well, that was what was causing the negative consequences. And now I've, I've taken that out. So I should only be getting positive consequences moving forward. And that's just not true. That our behaviors, our actions, even in sobriety and recovery, are still going to have negative consequences. You can st- still be sober as well, sober as a judge, sober as a priest. I don't even know if those are too valid anymore. You could be sober as a sober person, right? That doesn't mean that if you run a red light that you're not going to hit someone. Life can still have those negative consequences. We're just now w- with clearer heads to deal with those consequences. We now have enough clarity in our thoughts to think, okay, I did this. This is the consequence that came from it, right? Let's strategize a different way to handle it next time. Let's prioritize doing it this quote-unquote better way. Let's go and execute this better way. Then let's review and let's see if we got a better, more positive outcome. And then let's repeat. Right, and until we until we finally start to get consistent positive outcomes, our emotions and our feeling are very, very, very overwhelming at times, and they can become overwhelming because we don't stop and ask ourselves, "What was the event that caused the thought that brought about this feeling or emotion?" It can be difficult. Because it's within that sitting in our own uncomfortability that we have to start to dive deeper into our suffering. We have to start to realize that cross-addiction is a real thing. I don't, I don't care what any of the websites say. There's no empirical evidence. There's no scientific data. I don't, I don't, I don't need it. It's like today somebody at work tried to tell me that, that my, my thoughts on soda water were fake news. I believe that soda water is a dehydrant. Now, whether it literally takes water out of your cells or not, I don't know if that's scientifically factor or not. I don't don't think it is. I highly doubt that it's not like salt, which literally takes water out of your cells. But to me, soda water is not a hydrant, right? I could drink soda water all day long. I will have a dehydration headache halfway through the day because it, it doesn't absorb into the cells the same way as normal water. And she tried to say that was fake news. Now, my my cross addiction is one of those where I'm like, I must be right. Um, and I, I'm not, how the hell does that story help here? I was talking about cross addiction and I was talking about scientific. Oh, right. So yet I don't need scientific proof to tell me that if I only drink soda water throughout the day, that I'm going to have a dehydration headache, that it's not absorbing into my body the same way. The fact that I can go to the bathroom 27 times in a day because I'm drinking only soda water, and the fact that I have a dehydration headache that immediately goes away whenever I drink a couple pints of water tells me that soda water isn't a hydrant. 
I don't need anyone to run a 14-month test at Harvard to tell me that. I know how my body reacts to it. Just like I don't need any science telling me that cross-addiction is a real thing. When the addict turns the addictive behavior towards something besides the preferred vice, it becomes a cross-addiction. If you turn it to shopping, if you turn it to gambling, if you turn it to sex, if you turn it to relationships, if, if there's a behavior within that relationship, everything's going great, 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 and then it goes bad, 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 and that, that you immediately turn into that old behavior where... You clam up. You don't talk about it. You don't open up. You don't become vulnerable, right? You know where your behaviors switch. You know when you get triggered in such a way that you just don't want to open up anymore. You get triggered in such a way where you get into this negative thinking that you somehow continue to loop yourself into. This is where meditating, this is where, you know, reading, writing, journaling, vlogging, blogging, starting a podcast, whatever helps you, you look for those tools, you strategize, prioritize, execute, review, repeat. I literally came up with that the other day. I think I've got another one that has something similar. And we're going to wrap up the show because I'm going a little longer than I normally would. But again, this has been very cathartic for me to... Um, discuss the feelings and emotions. You know, I, I operate very much from a mental f- mindset. I have a very mental framework. I want to use um, a, like a cognitive thinking on everything. I, I, I don't tend to, you know, I'm very much a head person, not much of a heart. I definitely know how to ignore my gut for years if I want to. Right, but I, I come at things with the well. What do I know for a fact? What can I what can I prove? What have I experienced myself? Rather than that emotional side where I feel the things, and I'm working on feeling, even if it's not the, a great emotion. I want to feel it. I will listen to some sad songs. Uh, one of my favorite right now is uh, "Life in the City" by the Lumineers. Um, also, mini songs on Keen's new one, "Cause and Effect." Um, you know, I, I seek out, oh goodness gracious, August and everything after by the Counting Crows. I seek out those because it's like, you know what? I'm going to let myself feel these emotions. I'm going to let myself get lost in my thoughts. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get stuck and trapped in the maze, lost, you know, where I can't get out for weeks and weeks and weeks on end, but I'm going to take some time for self-reflection. I'm going to take some time to, to to reflect on the the good, the bad, the beautiful, the ugly of of the relationship. I'm going to take time because in the past, I wouldn't have. In the past, my addictive behavior would have said, no, turn this outward, learn more, read more, study more, work more, you know, work out more, do things to take your mind off of it. Only listen to happy trance songs and do not let yourself get into a sad mood. You'll be stuck there forever. But I know that that's not true. I know I won't be stuck there forever unless I choose to be. But feelings and emotions are the things we've been looking to bury for so long that we cannot continue anything that even remotely looks like that behavior in our addiction recovery. You can control your mood by just understanding what event caused the thought that brought, around, that brought about the feeling and then just choose 
to think about that event differently. We are literally creating our world in our mind and we are projecting it outward. Think about that. You can be extremely sad one second and then somebody gives you a puppy and all of a sudden you're extremely happy. Whatever sad thoughts you had went away because here's this bouncing puppy. Then the puppy goes away, right back to sad. But you chose to be happy when you saw the puppy and you chose to go back to being sad when the puppy went away. But whether this is the best analogy or not for for, for me to get you to understand that we create our worlds by the thoughts we have and the feelings that we allow ourselves to feel from those thoughts. I'm okay with the fact that I feel sad. I'm okay with the fact that I feel confused. I'm okay with the fact that I feel um, overwhelmed by a lot of things right now. I'm okay with that. Do I think that I could easily, you know, have a different thought or think differently about that thought? Yes. But right now, I'm okay with the sad thoughts. Because I really want to allow this journey I had with this friend to really to really wrap up, to really absorb into my unconscious mind. For me to really look back and say, what could I have done? You know, what did I do well? What could I work on for the future? And, you know, what was the overall lesson? What was the overall benefit? What was the, what was the knowledge that the universe said, Jesse, you need to learn this right now. Here is this person. They will help you learn this. Everything is an experiment. Every moment is an opportunity to learn. All you have to do is be willing to open up your eyes and experience the experience and know that whatever comes from it is just feedback to take and do something with even better the next time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. As always, I am honored and just thrilled beyond thrilled that you are all here to listen. I got up to 40 minutes on this one. I hope you lasted all the way to the end. Um, So again, this was a little bit of Q&A about mood swings, a little bit more into uh, dating, a little bit more into just opening up yourself for yourself. Make sure you're the one recharging yourself. Make sure that you feel recharged, whatever that looks like. However you do that, recharge yourself because it's in that self-care And in that quote-unquote selfishness to take care of yourself first, that you then have all the energy you could possibly desire to go off and be selfless towards somebody else. If every time you give to someone, it is taking, taking, taking to before you know it, you turn around and you're, you're at zero and you've got negativity and animosity because you didn't want to do that to begin with then that means that you're not taking good enough care of yourself. My life coach recently said in a podcast, it's selfish has a negative connotation, but in reality, it is just saying, I need to take care of me first so that I can show up in front of you as the best version of myself. And I don't think that our lives are ever, we don't ever like sign on the dotted line and that's it. We have officially become the best version of ourselves because every second of every day is another opportunity for us to learn and for us to experience a negative or a positive 
and figure out what that is and then move forward with that knowledge. Thank you again. The power of positivity, release it and flow with life. Inclusivity over exclusivity. Love one another. Be kind to one another. Take care of yourselves. Until next week. Bye-bye.